I'm going to ask you a bit of a loaded question. When you hear the word church, what do you think? What is your emotional response to the word church? Does it bring uh, feelings of joy and thankfulness, or does it feel some, bring some trepidation, maybe some nervousness, especially if you've been asked to preach at the last minute? Uh, does it bring trepidation? Does it bring some anger? Do you perhaps have some bad memories of being hurt in a church? And when you hear this phrase, hey, let's go to church, maybe that doesn't have the joy that it used to have. There's all sorts of mixed reactions when we consider this great uh, blessing, I would argue, that we have of being called to gather as God's people to worship. But let's all admit, we don't always come on the Lord's Day with joy in our hearts. I can't wait to go to church. Sometimes it's like, I'm tired. It's been a busy week. Do we really have to go to church? And the answer is yes. But pastor, I was up late last night. Well, good for you. Go to church. I'm not feeling well. Okay, that might be a legitimate excuse. But we come up with all sorts of reasons not to go to church or to be discouraged. And let's be honest, we make it easy to be discouraged by the church sometimes. But we're going to see in this passage here this morning that Paul is thankful for the church, even the Corinthian church. Paul was thankful because this is the body of Christ. And so I hope we can be encouraged this morning by these words of the apostle written to a young church. So you can see uh, the three points in the outline. Paul thanks God for the church. Paul thanks God constantly. And I should have added the words in prayer. Paul thanks God constantly in prayer. And then finally, Paul thanks the church for her faithfulness. Paul thanks the church for her faithfulness. So this is a short passage, but it's full of thanksgiving. So let's consider our first point then. Paul thanks God for the church. Now, if you recall a couple of months ago when I preached from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I gave you a little introduction to the book, and I'm sure it's stuck with you that you've remembered every word that came out of my mouth. Uh, but this was a church that Paul established on his second missionary journey, and he was only able to stay in Thessalonica three or four weeks, and then persecution reared its ugly head, as it often did with the Apostle Paul, and he felt it best to get out of town so that the persecution would die down and the church might be left alone and be at peace. But as Paul left and then went to Berea and then went to Athens and then went to Corinth, he really had some concern that maybe he left the church too soon. It really, really bothered him. And so he wrote this letter after getting a report from Timothy that things were going well. He wrote this letter to assure the church that he, he cared for them, that he loved them, that he was praying for them, and that he wanted only what was best for them. And he wrote some things on the second coming of Christ, which is kind of cool if you get to the end of the book, but I'm not going to get into that here. So when we read these opening words, these, these are not words from Paul just to be polite. He's not trying to say, you know, sorry for leaving you so quick. So I'm going to say really nice things to you now. 
Paul really meant this. When he opens verse 2 after his verse 1 customary greeting, and he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, uh, he's not just saying this to be nice. This is a pattern of the Apostle Paul. Now, if I say that, don't just take me at my word. I could be wrong. Now, I'm going to show you that I'm not, okay? If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, no, sorry, 15, listen to what he says to the church in Ephesus. For this reason, because, of I, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul was thankful for the church in Ephesus. Well, okay, maybe that was just Ephesus and Thessalonians. Maybe he doesn't like the other ones. Well, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul is thankful for the church in Philippi. Might as well give you one more. To the church in Colossae, chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. This is a common pattern for the Apostle Paul. When he writes a letter to a church, he expresses thanks for that church. Now, there's an exception. You notice I didn't say turn back to Galatians. He opens up Galatians a little bit different. He'll do the grace and peace to you. I'm Paul, an apostle. And then he'll just rip right into them because in the church of Galatia, they're denying the gospel. And Paul has no patience for a church that denies the gospel. So he's not saying, I thank God that you're denying the gospel. No, he doesn't have any time for that. But all these other churches that he writes to, he starts off with this expression of thanks, and he really means it. He's thankful to God for the church. And if Paul is thankful for the church, perhaps we should be as well. Now, you might say, well, why, though? What's, what's the big deal about the church? You know, and Paul is not going to go into a detailed exposition of what the church is here. You can find that elsewhere. But what is the church? What's the body of Christ? Right? This is the body for whom Jesus shed his blood. This is why Paul would warn the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, make sure that you guard yourselves and you guard the flock because this church was purchased with the blood of Christ. This is a valuable institution, not purchased with silver or gold, but with the blood of Jesus. How much more precious could something be? So Paul thanks God that he had the privilege of being a part of a church, of starting churches. Paul was a church planter. That was his mission in life, that he would go from city to city, preaching the gospel and establishing churches. That's what Paul loved to do. And then he would write to those churches and visit those churches and pray for those churches and, and write certain letters to the churches and so on. This is the body of Christ. This is the bride of Christ, right? Jesus is promising us this amazing feast in heaven that we have an opportunity to look forward to. And this isn't for everybody. It's for his 
bride. If you are part of the church, you're a part of his bride. The church is the community of the redeemed. We share something in common here this morning. In spite of our different backgrounds and you know, economic statuses and all of those things that are supposed to divide us and tear us apart, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we can come together in celebration of that. And perhaps another reason to give thanks, and there's many more. This is where God ordinarily calls sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. This is where we get to partake of the means of grace. You can listen to great sermons online. There are some preachers that are better than me. It's shocking, but there's just a few, right? You can listen to better sermons online. Goodness, you can listen to a thousand R.C. Sproul sermons. But it's not the same when you're just watching a video or listening on your Bluetooth or whatever. It's not the same as when you're gathering together as a community in flesh, hearing God's word preached. The Spirit is here in a special way that he's not when you're simply watching or listening on a device. This is where you get to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I know for this congregation, we were here when you got to partake of it for the first time in a while. And I hope you appreciate it. Just the joy and the blessing of being able to partake of the body and blood of Christ. That is only to be found in the church. That's what we have. So Paul is thankful for the church. Are you thankful for the church? Do you have that attitude, that approach that I am so thankful that I can be a part of this community of God's redeemed people with all its uh, imperfections? And there are plenty. I'm looking out at a bunch of imperfect people and you're looking at a very imperfect pastor. And yet Jesus died for sinners. And he calls us together as his church to worship him. So Paul is thankful, and I hope we are as well. Well, notice then what else Paul says as we move to our second point. Paul says, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father. And then he'll explain specifically what he's remembering. But I don't want us to uh, breeze over that without considering just how important this is, that Paul was in prayer for the church constantly. Paul will say at the end of uh, chapter uh, 5, near the end of the letter, to pray without ceasing. And of course, I, I think we understand what he means here. You can't constantly be in prayer. I would like you to focus on your driving, please, okay? Uh, maybe pray for the other drivers as you're driving. But there are times when you can't pray. We understand that. But have this mindset where you're constantly thinking of other people and praying for them. And it doesn't have to be long, flowery prayers. We don't have to impress the Lord with our big theological words. It could just be, Lord, please be with the Rice family. And then you move on because you have other things to do. That's fine. Lord, bless the church. And then you move on. Read the opening chapters to Nehemiah, and you'll see those types of prayers. When he's about to go before the king, 
and make some outlandish requests that the pagan king would let him go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he says, Lord, give me favor in the sight of the king. And then he asked to speak. And the Lord answered his prayers. And here's Paul saying, constantly mentioning you. And I won't go back and read those same passages again, but he says the same thing to other churches, that Paul was a man of prayer. Now, the scriptures tell us that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You remember when Elijah the prophet went to Ahab and he said, until I say so, it will not rain in Israel again. And it did not rain again until Elijah prayed. Prayer is powerful. And I hope you understand the significance of that. The Lord has shown that to me this last year or so, just how powerful prayer is. And I hope you are a church that is in prayer. I'm going to take a wild guess and say you need it. Okay? We all need it. So be in prayer. There's a lot to do. If you've noticed as a church, you're talking about moving things and getting set up in a new place to worship and so on. And oftentimes, you know, you're going to have folks in the church that wonder, what can I do for the church? I can't preach. I can't teach. Maybe you're too busy to be actively involved. And that happens. We understand. Maybe your health doesn't allow you to be very active in the church. But here's one thing everybody can do. You can all pray. And if you don't have a lot of time to to be actively involved, but you have a lot of free time, use that in prayer. Pray for God's people. That's what the Apostle Paul does. He's praying constantly for the church. Praying without ceasing. If you want to be a healthy church, be a church that prays. All right, let's go to our last point then. Paul thanks the church for her faithfulness. Paul is thankful not just for the church in a general sense. He's thankful for this specific church in Thessalonica. And he's going to tell them why. Notice what he says in verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you caught that faith, hope, and love, although he switches the last two words here. And Paul's not trying to be clever here. These are three ways of kind of saying the same thing, but they have slightly different emphases here. But he's giving them specific reasons why he is thankful for this church. And notice the first one, your work of faith. He is thankful for their work of faith. Now, I'm a Presbyterian. When I hear work and faith together, I get nervous. And maybe some of you do as well. So let me explain, even though I'm sure you already know this, I'm going to tell you anyway what this means and what it doesn't mean. What does Paul mean when he says faith? I'm going to give you what I think is the best definition of faith outside of the Bible. This is the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 86. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Listen to this answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace 
whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Notice there's no word for work in that definition. It's a saving grace whereby we receive and rest. So just to make clear, Paul is not saying your work of faith, that your faith is a work that saves you. Jesus is the one who saved you. Your faith receives what Christ has done. All right, our works do not contribute to our justification. If they do, or if you think they do, I would encourage you to go back and read Galatians. Then repent and acknowledge, no, it's faith alone. So when Paul is mentioning this work of faith, what does he mean? Well, he's talking about what types of works our faith will produce, right? Good works will come from the life of a Christian. They have to because we're a new creation in Christ. And to give you an example, if we go to uh, chapter 2, verse 13, here's Paul repeating himself. By the way, Paul repeats himself a lot in 1 Thessalonians. Notice what he says, chapter 2, verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word of God is at work. If you are a church that hears the word of God preached and the word of God taught, and if you are reading God's word, it will change you, right? It is living and active. It is a sword that cuts to the very inner core of our being, which can be both bad and good, right? It shows us just how sinful we are, and then it shows us just how amazing a Savior Jesus is. And so this is a church that has a reputation for godliness. And Paul is thanking them for that. If you were to read Later on in chapter 1, and I won't read it now, just summarize, they have a reputation in the region for being a loving church, a generous church. The word is quickly spreading. This little church in Thessalonica, it hasn't been around very long. This is a generous church. This is a church that loves her Savior and loves each other. That's the type of church we ought to strive to be. So he's thanking God for, or thanking the Thessalonians, I should say, for their work of faith. And then he says, for your labor of love. Now this word labor here, it it means it's intense work. It's like the, the sweat of your brow work, where by the time you're done, your muscles ache, you're sore, you're tired, you need rest. That's the type of labor that this church is involved in. This is not, they just meet on Sundays, they say hi to everybody, that's nice, the Lord be with you, and then they don't see each other again until next Sunday when they have to see each other again. No, this is a church that is laboring for Christ. Uh, Paul will use that same word in chapter 5 when he speaks of the, uh, the task the responsibility of church elders. He says in chapter 5, verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. That's hard work. 
That's 24-7 work. And Paul says, you are a church that is known for your labor of love. So notice, these aren't works that this church is doing out of simply, well, we have to do it because we're Christians, and I guess we're supposed to love our neighbors and so on. No, they're doing this out of love, genuine love for the Lord and for each other. And so Paul's saying, I am remembering before our God and Father what you are doing. And if Paul says, I think you're doing something great there in Thessalonica, that ought to get our attention. Because Paul is somebody we ought to respect, right? So he says, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. So to be steadfast is to persevere, to endure, to stick with it. As as the writer of the Hebrews says, to run the race with perseverance. I am not a runner. I've run a few times. And they talk about the runner's wall, right? Where you hit that wall and you just want to give up, but you have to get through it. Okay, my wall hits about 10 minutes in. (laughs) What am I doing, right? But the Christian life is one of running. It's perseverance. It's, I don't think we're ever going to get to that point, this side of heaven, where we feel like I've made it through the wall. I'm there, and I can just kind of coast all the way to the finish line. No, the Lord has ways of tripping us up when we get a little too prideful and so on. But he's talking about having this steadfastness of hope. Why do they need hope? Well, this is a church, if you were to to read in Acts um, 17, when Paul, 17 or 18, forgive me if I'm getting the passage wrong, where Paul first planted the church, this is a church that had to deal with persecution. And it is very likely that some of the church members were arrested, possibly even killed for their faith in Christ. And when you are a young church and you're dealing with persecution, you need something to hope in. But when Paul speaks of the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, just to be clear, hope, when it's used in Scripture, especially in the New Testament at least, this is not wishful thinking. I hope I get a pay raise this year. That's wishful thinking. I hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl. That's just ridiculous. It's not going to happen, right? But when we say our hope, I hope Jesus returns. That's not just, well, you got to believe in something. I hope it's true. No, hope is confident assurance. We're hoping for it because we don't have it yet. Right? We won't hope for Jesus to return when he returns. It's done. We won't spend an eternity in heaven hoping that we'll see Jesus, we'll see him. Right, We won't need to hope anymore. The hope will have been fulfilled, but it's not fulfilled yet. So what does this little church need? They need hope. And Paul is thanking them for their steadfastness and hope. They're holding tight to the truth that they have heard from the Apostle Paul. They're not faltering. They're not going away from the truth. They're remaining steadfast in their faith. Now, if a young church that's facing persecution can remain steadfast in hope, what's our excuse? 
What kind of persecution does covenant face on a weekly basis? I mean, Matt had to move his car this morning in the parking lot. That was pretty rough, right? But that, I mean, what persecution are we facing here? Not really much, if any. Isn't it nice to live in a place where the worst you have to deal with is we have to find another place to meet without fear of persecution? And you consider what the majority of the church has to deal with. We've got it pretty easy. We ought to be able to hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But of course, with lots of freedom and lots of materialism, it's, it's easy to lose sight of that as well. But here, Paul is thanking the church. And I think that's a positive thing to do, because if you, uh, if you subscribe to a lot of uh, newsletters, you know, email newsletters, whatever, and I, I tend to probably have more than I need, most of the articles about the church are negative. It gets a little tiring. This church is failing to do this. It didn't do this. It botched this. It did that, you know, and it's always negative. I wonder why that is. Because here's Paul starting with positives, thanking God for the church and thanking the church in Thessalonica for her work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Now, was this a perfect church? Of course, the answer is no. Did they get things wrong? Yes. Did they have people in the church that annoyed each other? I'll bet they did. Did they have some people who did 90% of the work? Probably just like every other church. But Paul is thankful because this is a church where the gospel is proclaimed. And sinners hear the good news and they come to faith in Jesus. This is a church that has joy. And sometimes we in the reform world can forget that part. It's okay to have joy. It's okay to smile, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are you thankful for the church? Do you have this mindset that Paul has? And I sometimes wonder, I, I really don't think that anybody who is up in heaven, notice I'm pointing up there, of course, uh, is looking down and watching what we're doing here. I really doubt that. I hope not, actually. But I wonder if Paul could write a letter to this church, what would he say? Which of these epistles would most apply to covenant? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know all of you well enough. I'll, I'll give you something positive, though. It wouldn't be Galatians. Okay. Hopefully not 1 Corinthians. Maybe it'd be 1 Thessalonians. That'd be a great one, right? Paul is thankful for the church. Jesus died for the church. We ought to be thankful for the church because this is the community of the redeemed. Let's take joy in that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, that you are a loving God. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us by sending your Son, by giving us your word that we have the Holy Scriptures that we can open up and hear proclaimed. And we thank you, Lord, 
uh, for this example of the church in Thessalonica, a church that was known for its love. I pray, Lord, that the same would be the case here. The covenant would be a church known for its love, its love of its Savior, its love of one another, and its love for the lost. But Lord, we recognize that we cannot do this on our own. We need you. We need the work of the Spirit in us to accomplish these things. And so we pray that you would fill us with your presence, equip us and empower us by your Spirit to serve you, Lord, not only here at the church, but in our daily lives, that we might be men and women, boys and girls, seeking to do all that we can to show your love to a world lost in darkness. Father, bless us as we close this service. And Father, encourage your people that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.